Thanks for tuning in to localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm your host, Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Management Decisions, a show where we bring in high-level executives and consultants from a wide collection of businesses to discuss what goes on at the top of the food chain. And today we are talking about the real cost of a candidate changing their mind. And joining us is Stephen Irwin, and he is the president of New Ventures Planning. So thanks for joining us again, Stephen. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, the last time that you were on, we discussed how mistakes made by hiring managers after that offer has been made. But now we're going to be talking about kind of the costs associated with that. So first, I wanted to dive into why candidates change their mind after an offer has been um, put forth or accepted. Well, I think there's an emotional high initially, Katie, uh, Mm -hmm. when uh, people sign on. And in some cases, people get buyer's remorse, except, of course, this is a much bigger investment in their life. You're probably not going to have issues with people who left their old jobs because they believe that they were unfairly treated or there were fights over uh, commissions or, you know, bad chemistry. But uh, people who had strong relationships and uh, but felt that the organization held them back might have thoughts that they were a quitter or that they were letting their team down. It's their sense of organization and team spirit that, you know, made them successful and popular in the first place. And remember, if these valuable people are remote and were valued in their office, this uh, time frame of wrapping up business is also going to include counterproposals mm-hmm. and probably pressure to stay mm-hmm. uninterrupted by the new company. You know, the pressures could be effective. Right. What about money? Do you think money is a big consideration? Um, I mean, obviously, there's that high when you first accept an offer that you've got, you know, something great coming. But what if like another offer comes along? Do you see that as something that happens a lot where candidates accept one, then something else comes along that might be a little bit better? Well, I've had it happen in my case, but most of the time it's a situation where a group of friends who they've known in the past have come together and sort of put the band back together again, and Mm -hmm. they would be drawn back into it because of that. Money is not the strongest magnet, I would say, unless you really need it. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone needs money, but some people need it a lot more than others because if they don't really see it advancing them, uh, helping them grow, I don't think people will be attracted just just for money. Mm -hmm. Now, what does this cost the employer when these candidates change their mind after that offer has been put forth and accepted? Is it just, you know, the time, money, and the effort that was spent, or is it a little bit more than that? Actually, I would say it's uh, it's quite a bit more of that, and I think that you know you've got the time internally certainly that uh, HR has taken to, to vet candidates, to do background tests, uh, drug tests, you know the recruiting costs, and then the departments have you know spent time sending people if this is a remote mm-hmm. location to the corporation, they have sent people out and uh, flown them back, and perhaps brought the Kennedy back to the headquarters. So there's, as you were saying, the travel costs as well. Then there's things that are difficult to calculate, and that is maybe the humiliation from the surprise or embarrassment that a back out can cause. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are going to be pointing fingers and people are going to actually probably feel pretty silly. And then at the end of the day, there's still another three to six month period without anyone being in that position. That's going to mean that 
the current employees have to double up frequently while they go ahead and try to find someone. And going back after that number two candidate is always kind of tricky because if there were a second candidate that they didn't choose in the best and final offer, because the second candidate probably knows that they were second best. So there's, a, mm-hmm. there's an emotional disassociation there too. I don't know how you measure some of those costs, but I believe that you know it's an emotional one as well as a, mm-hmm. an economic one. Now, how much does it cost relatively to fill a position? And obviously, this will vary dependent upon the employer's process and all the different kind of things that go into this. People say out there that it's a, a portion of a salary. Um, what are your thoughts on that? If uh, you're looking for a C-level individual mm-hmm. in a Fortune 500 company, firms that charge a fee to do the placement generally start in six figures. Mm-hmm. And then all of the additional expenses that are involved, travel, meeting places, the you know any any incidental items to find the people and to recruit them mm-hmm. are included. So you can come up with uh, 2,550, 200,000, depending upon how long it takes and how senior a, a position you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Typically speaking, recruiters get anywhere from 15% to 35% okay. of the base salary. I mean, that's a huge monetary expense. And I, I can't imagine that. It is. And, you know, if you're a recruiter, you were hired externally, or if you're a recruiter and you're internal, I mean, do you think it's pretty common for an employer to get so upset that a candidate backed out that that individual's, you know, job could be in jeopardy or maybe, you know, a promotion was on the line? Does it get that serious or do you just kind of keep on trucking and keep looking for that next candidate? I think there's the shock factor initially. And if the individual was under the gun to begin with from their boss to get this get this going and mm-hmm. get this position filled. Yes, I have seen the uh, senior managers actually fire the person responsible for doing it. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is, especially in a sales position, if you don't have people in their territories, you have a vacuum. Therefore, again, people are doubling up to take care of it, which means you're probably only getting a fraction of the revenue that you should have had you had this thing filled. So they missed revenue targets and come in under where they were expected to be. That would give a senior manager another reason to get rid of them. If, however, that is not the case, probably not going to see anyone taking the blame for it if they can uh, get away with it, at least, mm-hmm. unless they want to you know, point the finger at the outside agency or something. Now, that kind of brings me to my next question. Do you think fingers is, can really be pointed and blame can be put on just one person? Or are there just so many factors in this that it's just hard to point a finger and say, you did this, this is your fault? Officially, <laughs> no one will take blame mm-hmm. inside. However, unofficially, again, if someone misses their sales targets because they don't have the staff to take care of it, then that's sort of an indirect type of situation. If, however, it's a senior manager that was responsible for it, he may blow it off and say that it was the recruiting firm that messed it up. Mm -hmm. And of course, the recruiting firm has spent a lot of time trying to close this position as well. And when the offer was made and accepted, they're supposed to do a handoff. So at that point, that's the criticality of this interim time, because at that point, they're supposed to leave it go, mm-hmm. or they you know, might be considered 
as meddling. So it's really an unforced error that no one actually created, but no one's happy with it either. What about kind of like preventing this from happening or, you know, if there's any way that an organization kind of kind of makes some changes internally to prevent this from happening? Now, are there options available? And if so, are they pretty easy or you think that there'll be more of a challenge for these businesses to put into place? That's a good question, Katie. Yeah, there are ways of reducing uh, your, uh, you know, the possibility of someone backing out. Corporations have a thing called an onboarding program, and mm-hmm. it starts uh, generally after the offer has been accepted. Okay. And in my article, I recommended a buddy system where an employee of the new company takes time during that interim period to do everything from, and this is only for two to four weeks from time to time, everything from you know keeping the candidate updated on what his department is doing to calling him off on the phone, stopping by, having coffee or uh, lunch. And these contacts that the buddy makes really dispels the notion that nobody really cares about them, uh, you know, or that they're kind of in a black void. And and during that time, you know, anxieties can build up. The constant chatter and uh, contact makes them feel, you know, like they have uh, support and interest. And although they're not really on board yet, Mm -hmm. you know, they feel part of the new organization and you can give them tasks like reading plans and departmental objectives, just keep their attention uh, on the new job. And as I uh, had mentioned uh, one time before, it's really about buying mindshare mm-hmm. and keeping their mind off of, you know, the possibility of counterproposals and, and backing out. Right. Now, what kind of challenges do you see most employers facing when they're kind of looking to ensure that these candidates aren't backing out of um, the positions that they've accepted? By challenges, you mean? Just you know, things that um, are processes or things that they just find difficult. And recruiters might be recruiting for multiple positions. And one of the things that you've mentioned is um, that buddy system and, and ensuring that someone is really staying in contact you know, just other things that employers can do that, but they might just find a little bit challenging as far as implementing or just ensuring that they're actually happening. I think the big thing in any of these recruitments is the chemistry between the candidate and the new company Mm -hmm. and the chemistry at the old company. Again, if at the old company, things weren't so bad, but you just didn't think you were getting the personal growth that you needed to be successful in the future and you go to the new company and all of a sudden after you've accepted this offer, you don't hear anything from anybody mm-hmm. and start getting very concerned that maybe you didn't make the right offer. And then you start you know, focusing in on those interviews that you did have and maybe it was a little bit awkward or something like that. So you start thinking about the chemistry uh, whether it's going to work out for you. Did I really like that guy who's going to be my next manager? And he really wasn't very clear about what my ideals were. So the challenges are really to focus on the positive as a new employer, making it crystal clear what this individual is going to do, not change titles, not change the function that he thought he was going to be stepping into mm-hmm. uh, once he joined the new company. That happens an awful lot. And I think people get very nervous that they're now joining a company for a position that they really didn't initially expect to be recruited for Mm -hmm. because that wasn't 
what they plan on doing, and maybe you were in project management, and all of a sudden you turn out to be uh, the top candidate for business development, right. and you then get anxious about whether you can really do the new position because that really wasn't what you wanted to do. So mm-hmm. clear guidelines are so, so important, and just giving this person stability and peace of mind during that, that short period, but it's a critical period. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we are running out of time today, and I do just want to give you the floor for these last 30 seconds to share any final pieces of advice about this topic for um, employers or recruiters or hiring managers when they're looking to recruit candidates and then make sure that they stick throughout this process. I think that the recruiter and fee payer, the employer, need to get on the same page and Mm -hmm. decide who is going to provide that support after the handoff is taken. It should be the employer, but if the employer does not have an onboarding system to set that up, then it behooves everyone to at least have someone making those calls. The potential new employee is going to favor the new employer to be talking to them because the recruiter isn't going to be paying their paycheck. They want to really know what their new position is going to be and have this feeling, again, of being part of that bigger organization. So it's really important for the employer and the recruiter to get together and have an understanding where the handoff is and how that employer is going to work with that new employee until he starts his uh, first day on job. And with that final piece of advice, we will close out the show for Management Decisions today. And we were speaking with Stephen Irwin. He is president of New Ventures Planning. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to aljanradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, please send me an email at aljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. And once again, I'm your host, Katie Chesney with Aljan Radio, and I'll see you next time.